All right, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We're the start of the month, so we'll give a little refresher of what we've been doing about prayer now. For This is a refresher for a, a year and a half. Uh, sort of looking at, at prayer, just what we've learned about what the Bible says about prayer. And we started this because uh, if, if I were to ask people, what does the Bible say about prayer? I could ask 75 people and get 100 answers of, of what prayer is. Uh, and so we wanted to go to the text of Scripture and say, well, what does the Bible actually tell us, you know, concretely? This is what prayer is. This is what it is doing. And so we that's what we've been doing so far, sort of taking this wide-eyed, wide-lens look at what does the Bible say about prayer? Uh, we've seen that prayer is, is more than just simply talking to God, that prayer is asking God to do something. We then looked at why prayer is so important, that it is one of the greatest blessings to a believer. And then we saw that the Bible mentioned specifically three hindrances to prayer. So then we, we saw that prayer is so great. Well, prayer is so great. Why don't we do it? Well, there are hindrances to prayer. We saw three that the Bible mentions. We saw abundance. We saw doubt. We saw disobedience, all three of those things that will keep us from praying. So we spent time looking at why would those things even keep us from praying? Well, then we started to look at, all right, so that's what keeps us from praying, but, but now we want to pray. Let's get into praying. And how did the Bible start us off? And almost every time where the Bible teaches us about prayer, it begins by telling us how not to pray. And so that's where we started. We started where Jesus started when he was teaching his disciples about teaching us to pray. And he teaches them, all right. This is how you don't pray. This is what you don't do. And so right now, what, uh, it, during that time, we looked at five specific ways the Bible tells us not to pray. Don't pray with your mind on others. Don't pray. And we saw that. That uh, often is, you know, praying out loud for others to hear. So while you're praying, you're thinking, I bet I sound really good right now. Uh, that's one of the ways you don't want to pray. We saw about the danger of praying to impress God or impress others. Jesus warned us here about the danger of, of long prayers. Remember, Jesus' perfect prayer takes seven seconds. Uh, we saw uh, that we shouldn't pray doubting prayers. We saw this in James chapter 1. We saw the danger of praying for the wrong reasons. In James chapter 4, we saw uh, the danger of praying while refusing to repent of sin from Psalm 66. So those are always, hey, if you're going to pray, great. This is a great blessing. We want you to do it, but here's how not to do it. Well, now we're into how do you pray? And so that's why we've been walking through the Lord's Prayer, because that's what we have in the Lord's Prayer. We have a model for when you pray, you know, we've got the Lord teach us to pray. We've got when, when the disciples asked, Lord teach us to pray, this is the prayer he told him. He said, all right, pray like this. This is, if you want to know what to pray for, what to ask for, this is what you ask. This is what you ask of God. And so again, we've been just walking through this Lord's Prayer, this, this seven second prayer that again has somehow been lost in Christendom. It's become, this, this great prayer has somehow become considered childish. Like it's, a, like it's a baby prayer that you move beyond instead of Jesus telling us, no, this is the, this is the ultimate prayer. This is where you need to get. Uh, this isn't where you need to come from. This is, where you, this is where you need to get. This is where all prayers should spring from. This is this prayer that, is a, that has deep roots in the biblical text, both Old Testament and New Testament. I mean, you, you could pray this prayer for the rest of your life and be just fine. Uh, you could say, Jesus told me to pray this prayer, I'm going to pray this prayer. Uh, and at, you'd be asking for everything that you could possibly need or need to ask for in that prayer. And that's exactly what Jesus is giving us here. Here are the things to ask of your heavenly father. Here are the things, it's like a, this, this grocery list of things that we can ask from God to know that God wants us to ask him uh, for these things. And again, it's a simple list. It's just, it's a short list. Uh, but each of these requests is filled with deep, rich truth about, about life, about, about what's important, about the things that we should expect to face, what we could struggle with, about what we should be desiring. So we went through them. We, the, we prayed that God's name would be holified, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done that our bread would be given to us daily, that our sins would be forgiven, that we would not be led into temptation, into times of stretching. And so after all that, now we're on to the last one. And that's what we've been doing. Now we're on to this last request that we're asking of the Lord for the Lord to deliver us from evil. And so let's stand in the honor of reading the word of our God and let's read this prayer again. And let's dig once more into this final phrase. 
about what it means for our God to deliver us from evil. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we admit, Father, uh, that we are often slow when we come to worship. We often come to worship with our hearts set on other things. We're often distracted by ourselves or others. And God, we want to come today and, and make this day about you and about the people you've brought into our lives about worshiping as your body. Father, may our hearts be solely fixed on you right now. May you, in your kindness and grace, speak to us from your word. Father, may you deliver us from evil. Help us to understand what that means. Help us to understand why our Christ would tell us to pray this so that we might pray it and we might know what it means when you answer it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, and so we've been looking at this last prayer, deliver us from evil, and looking at the ways that evil attacks the Christian, why we need to even be praying for God to deliver us. I mean, when you, when you woke up this morning, you probably, or you may or may not have felt like, I really need the Lord to deliver me from evil today. Uh, sometimes evil doesn't feel that pressing. Right. And so it's like, why do I need to be delivered from it? Is this sort of like a last minute, uh, like things have gone really bad level of prayer. So it like peaks here. Why are we praying for God to deliver us from evil? So we've been looking specifically at how the evil one attacks believers. How does not just how do we attack evil and what's our battle like against evil, but how does evil battle us? What is evil trying to do to you, to our church, to the kingdom of God? How is evil attacking the believer? Specifically, how does the evil one attack the believer? What does Satan do in his attacks? How does the Bible say that Satan works against the believer? We looked at just his very name, Satan, the devil. He is our adversary. He's the one who gets in our way. He's the one who slanders us, the, the thrower. He, he flings things at us, words, ideas, thoughts, uh, guilt, flings those things at us. We've seen that he shoots fiery arrows, attacks that are meant to set us and our whole world on fire. We've seen that one of his favorite weapons is doubt, specifically getting us to doubt God. And then last week we saw another one of Satan's favorite attacks is through temptation, that Satan will try and stretch us. He will bring stretchings into our lives with the desire to break us, bring things to tempt us. So when we're laying out, these are all, again, these are not things that we just said, all right, how, can, how could Satan tempt you? These are things that the Bible specifically says. Here's what the evil one is doing against the believer. Here's what the evil one does against God's people. So if you're going to pray, deliver us from evil, it's good to know what evil's going to be trying to do to you. Everything, uh, everything from the arrows to the doubt to the temptation, like all of those things. He's flinging the accusations, slandering at you, knowing what the evil one is going to do. It's going to be very important for us to know when to even pray, deliver us from the evil one. When to even cry out for deliverance. And so we walk through all this time of stretching, all the things that Satan does, but Satan is not done. At least the Bible's description of, of how Satan works isn't done. I mean, we could stop there. We could stop with those things and have a pretty good picture of how Satan fights against the believer. You have a, a pretty good understanding of when doubt comes into your mind, when you begin to doubt God and his goodness, to know where that comes from. When you feel stretched thin and you, you want to abandon the faith, you want to curse God and die as Satan tried to get Job to do. You're going to know where that comes from, that it's not actually based on reality. It's not based on the truth. It's based on, and it comes from the father of lies. If you know that and you're feeling stretched, you won't say, oh, I'll, just, I'll just bear it. You'll say, Father, deliver me from evil. Deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me from this doubt, from this temptation. Protect me from his fiery arrows. But if we stop there, we'd have a good picture, but we wouldn't have a full picture. And we'd still have blind spots to what Satan could do. 
And I don't want you to just be aware of, of the arrows of doubt or the arrows of temptation. I want you to be aware of, of every way that the Bible says that Satan will attack you. And I don't want to just be satisfied with 50% or 75%. I don't want to, as, as pastors, Zach and I don't want to prepare you for a few bites from the wolf. We want to tell you every way that he might come from. And the Bible is going to add another way this time. I'm going to actually add another two ways this time. And you're like, there's no way you're getting through two. You've been doing like one a week and you, you think you're going to get through two. You're already like, let's just cut the bottom half of these notes off. He's not getting there. Today, we're going to look at two more general ways that Satan attacks the believer. The first thing we're going to see is that Satan is an opportunist. Satan looks for weakness. He looks for opportunity. So that one of the ways Satan attacks the believer is just by being around. Just by looking for, for, a, for a sign of weakness. If you, if you remember back to the book of Job, when we were first, first introduced to Satan in our Bibles. First, first introduced to this guy named Satan. Right? First time we find out about Satan himself. And what is the first thing we learn about him? What's the very first thing we learn about what Satan does? Turn to Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? So you've got Satan showing up to this this heavenly council, but what's he doing there? Why why is he there? Well, before he gets here, Satan, Satan hasn't been just sort of hanging out in the heavenly places. Satan gets there after he's been walking around the earth. After he's, he's been walking up and, up and down on it. But what's he been doing? Is Satan just saying, I've just been going out for a stroll, just strolling. What have you been doing, Satan? I've just been walking. I love to walk. I'm a walker, getting my steps in. Now, what is Satan doing when he's walking to and fro? He's not just walking. He's not just strolling. Satan is on the prowl. And God recognizes that. And you'll actually see it when you see God knows this. Because, because we see he knows this because of his statement to Satan. What does he say? The statement right after I've been walking around is he says, well, have you considered Job? Have you considered my servant Job? Because, you know, Satan's not just walking up and down. He's not just strolling on the earth. He's walking up and down looking for victims. And so God says, oh, you've been walking up and down. I know you're walking up and down looking for victims. Have you considered Job? I know you're walking up and down looking for someone, looking for an opportunity. Have you considered my servant Job? He's walking up and down considering different people as possible prey. And God points out, hey, I know what you do when you walk up and down. I know what you're trying to do. I know that you're seeking opportunity. And it, we get the same thing in Job chapter 2. So this isn't just Job, that Satan does this one time. You go to Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2 verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan shows back up again. And Satan answered the Lord from going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. Satan walking up and down on the earth, looking for chances, looking for opportunity, looking for victims, looking for weakness. That's what Satan does. That's what he's doing. Walking to and fro on the earth, looking for a chance. Looking for a servant of God in weakness. Looking for one of you to be his prey. And that's it. Satan hasn't changed this. This isn't just something that happened. Oh, that was, it was in Job's time, right? Now Satan has become more sophisticated. He hasn't changed In fact, Peter uses even slightly more colorful language in the New Testament to say that Satan still basically does the same thing. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour your enemy your adversary the devil is prowling around prowling around like a lion and he's looking for someone to eat he's looking for someone to devour to destroy now peter certainly doesn't tone down 
what Satan continues to do, to, to do to, to what Satan's done since the beginning. Satan's been prowling around since the garden. He was prowling around in the garden. That's what he was, what was Satan doing? You know, what was he doing when he showed up at the tree? He was prowling around. Looking for someone to, so since, since the garden, since Job's time, he's prowled around on the earth. And now he's prowling around us. And here's the question. If he's prowling around looking for weakness, are you the easy prey that he's going to find? You know, predators in the wild will, will seek out the weakest member in the group. And here's the danger. Satan will prowl around you to get to us. He'll prowl around the weakest member to bring down not just you, but to bring down the people closest to you. The other day I had a conversation with someone and uh, they just felt like giving up. Their life had been really hard. The stuff they'd been going through was really difficult. Uh, And I was like, well, you know, it's Satan. You know, this temptation is from the evil one. And they were like, yeah, I do. I said, and you know, if you give up, He's not going to stop, right? You know, you can't call a timeout. I said, if you, if you give up and lay down, because they were going through things in their family, stuff like that. I said, if you lay down because it's been tough and the stuff that your kids is dealing with and all that's been really tough, he's not just going to quit. He just not, they're just not going to have any shield. They're not going to have any protection. They're just going to be undefended. You'll just be laying on the ground and he'll devour you and all of you. Satan wants that moment of weakness. He wants to come through. He will go through you to get to your family. He'll go through you to get to the church. This is why when we're talking about deliverance from evil and putting on armor and armoring up, we all have to armor up. We all have to make, it's like that old adage of the story of outrunning the bear. You don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun your friend that's with you, right? We all need to make sure that we're not the one lagging behind. We can't just look around and say, oh, I'm not doing well, but he's doing well or she's doing well. So I'm sure that will protect our church. I'm really struggling. My family's really struggling, but, but everyone else seems to be doing fine. So everything's going to be okay. That's going to serve sort of as a protection. Look, he is looking for weakness. He's looking for, for opportunity. This is why in the family, when you're trying to have a, a, a godly family, both the mom and the dad have to be in the fight. Because if it's just the mom or it's just the dad, Satan's not just going to bang his head against the one who's got their armor on. He's not just going to bang against the shield of faith. He's going to go against the one who's not trying, against the one who has given up. He will work through the family through that weak spot because he's looking for opportunities. He's looking for chances. This is why every one of us must have our armor, not just, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of one another. Did you know that the Lord, can, that Satan can use your weakness to destroy someone else's family? We often think in our own little bubbles, our own little shells. But the truth is Satan will work through you, not to just destroy your family, but to destroy someone else's family. Not just work through you to destroy your your life, but to destroy our life. I mean, we are a body. If one of our parts gets gangrenous, it will spread to all of us. This is why when I'm imploring us, we've got to learn about what Satan does. I don't want any of us to just think, okay, I've got to protect me and my family against Satan. Remember what we learned in this prayer. It is not me, me, me in the Lord's prayer. It is us, us, us. And we are the body of of Christ. We are the body that he has brought together, the members that he has brought together in this place to serve as an image bearing of his body. And if any of us are weak, then Satan will use that opportunity to go through you to get to us all. Which is why we've got to strengthen one another. Which is why we've got to encourage one another. Which is why, you know, Hebrews tells us there in Hebrews 10 how important it is to meet together and be together all the more as you see the day approaching. Why? Because what that's going to do, it's going to stir up love. It's going to stir up good works. It's going to encourage you. We need to know those things because Satan will use you to get to us all. Because that's what a predator does. 
He looks for the weakest link. And we've got to get beyond our myopathy of just thinking about myself or even if we're noble, thinking about my family. We've got to recognize that our battle is for something bigger. Your, you, your family's life, our church life is about the name of Christ in this world. It's not just about, oh, I don't want to be embarrassed because I don't want something to happen to me. Or, or I don't want to embarrass myself in front of others. Or, oh, well, I don't want my family to look bad. Or I want to protect my, like we are protecting a worldwide truth here. The name of Christ. And what happens in your family affects not just you, it affects the name of Christ. What happens here doesn't just affect us, it affects the name of Christ. Satan is prowling around looking for the weak one in the herd. And he knows like a fox in a field, all you have to do is set one of us ablaze and he gets the chance to burn us all down. So Satan has his bow ready. He's marching to and fro looking for someone to shoot at, looking for a victim, looking for prey, someone that he can single out, someone who is weak. He knows your weaknesses. We know what happens when we get weak. We know uh, the, the weaknesses that come our way and how it makes it easier for us to sin. What weaknesses do you have that you have, maybe you've got a weakness that you're dealing with and you're looking at that, at that weakness. Look, you've got to shore that up. Shore it up. However you have to armor up that weakness, whatever you have to do, you cannot just assume that this weakness is just, it's just part of me now. It's just who I am. That weakness, you had better focus on that and make what was, what was weak strong through Christ. That weak spot, you better put everything into not being okay with just that weakness. It's just who I am. It's just who I'm struggling with. I mean, Satan will know. Satan will know when you're wounded. He will know when you're struggling. He will know. He will know when you've had a fight with your spouse and you're still upset and you know you shouldn't be. You know, I don't. One of the best things to hear as a pastor is, I know I shouldn't. But it's just, um, and, and I, it's, it's a, a thing that we also hear in our, in my family a lot, but it's just, and I go, but it's not just, uh, let's, let's kill that right there. When you know, when you've got a weakness, don't make an excuse for it. Not only, not just because you shouldn't make an excuse for it, but recognize it for what it is. If your enemy was prowling around right now and he saw that weakness and he could, through that weakness, attack you and attack your family, what would you really do? You wouldn't just be okay with it. You wouldn't make excuses for it. You wouldn't just walk around the castle and say, oh, it's just a hole in the wall. I put the gate over there, and surely the enemy will attack there. And if you've been hurt, and instead of forgiving, you've grown cold and calloused around that hurt, you, you, you've acted like, like I'm just going to ignore it. Look, Satan's not going to ignore it. If there's something that you're still tender about because you haven't forgiven someone for what they did to you, no, Satan knows that tender spot. Satan knows where, you know, we like to do that. I mean, as we, as we all get older, right? Uh, we know how, what our bodies can and can't do. Sometimes it doesn't stop us anyway. But we know what our bodies can and can't do. We're familiar, and I, I know their activities that I, that, I mean, and if, if I don't know them, Brian is there to remind me of what I can and can't do. Uh, and he just whispers in my ear, $90,000. And I go, all right, that's right. Uh, because that's how much my back surgery was. And that's, he's just got to remind me. And I go, okay, I can't pick that up. Uh, and so, but, but I know my weakness. I, I, I move around that. Look, look, you, you, we will craft ourselves to hide our weakness. You cannot hide your weakness from the one who's prowling around like a lion seeking someone to devour. He knows your weakness. And if you don't deal with your weakness, don't think he won't deal with it. If, you'd allow, if you've allowed yourself to not forgive someone, don't think that he's going to just let, you, let that be a timeout in that area. If you know of a weakness in your life, bring it to the Lord and get it fixed. Don't hang on to it. Don't think that, that the one prowling around is not going to look for that opportunity. So, yeah, so we know that Satan is looking for opportunities. Uh, why is that important to know? Because another tool of Satan, beyond uh, being an opportunist and looking for weakness, uh, is that Satan will use uh, opportunities to set snares for us. Yes, Satan looks for opportunities, but if he cannot find one, Satan will also make an opportunity. 
Uh, and that's why we look at the next thing, which is that Satan sets snares. Satan sets snares. Satan finds his victim. He sets a trap. Uh, one of Satan's favorite tools, traps, snares. Let's see where the Bible warns us repeatedly about the snares of the devil. So we've got the, the devil walking around, looking for someone to devour, someone weak, someone falling behind the herd, someone who feels left out, alone, and instead of Instead of going and burying themselves and everyone else just continues to let themselves be alone and the group's going there and we feel like, guys, I feel alone. Guys, I feel alone. Uh, And instead of going, well, I will go be with them, uh, they continue to lag behind. What's going to happen? Satan's going to come in, boom, pluck them. But even if it's not an opportunity like that, Satan will make an opportunity. He'll set a snare. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. That they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So Satan sets snares to capture people to do his will. Now, not only is that just something true that Satan does in, in the world, it's something that also the Bible warns Christians specifically about watching out for these snares of Satan. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. Here we've got a, a warning about what type of, uh, of men that pastors must be and, and why these characteristics are, are so important. Look at what it says. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. So this is the characteristics of, uh, of pastors or elders, of, of overseers. So that they may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So why, why do these men need to be men like this, have character like this? So they won't fall into a snare of the devil. Satan is setting snares for pastors. And notice that when he talks here about the snare, he doesn't say he'll fall into the snare of the devil. But this is just a snare. I mean, Satan, Satan is, a professional, is a professional trapper. He is a, he is a snare setter. And he knows exactly what snare to use, whether it's, uh, you know, well, think about it, whether it's, whether it's a woman bathing on a rooftop uh, or a little servant girl who just happens to say, hey, weren't you a follower of his? Satan knows exactly the snare to set. He knows exactly what to put in front of you. Snares you probably wouldn't have even have imagined. But that's what makes a snare good. A good snare is not, you know, walking through the woods and there's a noose hanging six foot high. You know, I don't wonder what that's there for. Just walk into it and you're like, ah, ah, ah. I mean, that's not a good snare. You know, if you've ever tried to, to trap anything, you have to hide them. You got to do all sorts of things to get them to think, I know what that's not. It is definitely not a snare. Uh, and I will now walk through it. It is very rare that you just have like a, a piece of wire hanging there and something just, something just goes, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and walk through that right now. And Satan does that too. He knows what to put in front of us. He knows what to show us and convince us aren't really snares. And these snares aren't set blindly. So when we're talking about Satan snaring us and what he does, he doesn't just lay snares out blindly. He didn't just sling these snares and, and, and hope that something sticks. They are schemed by him. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. We're going to see here the, the snare that, that it is talking about here in 2 Corinthians. Satan's snares, his tactics though, are designed. They are thought out. If he's designing a snare for you, it is a snare designed specifically to fool you. And this is why we need to be on the lookout. This is why we need to know about this. This is why we need to say, deliver me from evil because I've got a guy walking around looking to devour me. I've got an enemy who is is an adversary against me who is setting traps, uh, landmines of sin in front of me. You know, if we if we were to walk outside and and, and they've let's say they they've mined the whole the whole city, and we have two options: either we can just say, "All right, let's go slowly." And if anyone hears a click, the rest of us will back up, right? Or we've got an option of someone delivering us over the landmines and taking us to the other side. None of us would, hopefully none of us, there might be a teenage boy who would do this, but normally none of us would say, I'm going to go ahead and try it. And that's what we've got in these snares. In these snares, we have landmines out there, hidden, 
for you to step on snares, to, to ensnare you, to trap you, to get you to do the will uh, of the devil. They're out there. Satan is putting them out. You cannot say, oh, I'm sure he's not setting snares for me. I mean, we've got 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, we've got Corinthians. We've got multiple letters where the Bible is warning us, look, Satan sets snares. He does. And he doesn't, he doesn't say here, but he's not setting them for you. He's only setting them for the really good Christians. He's only said, we know what? We know he's more likely to set them for the weakest Christian. He's more likely to set them for the one who's already struggling, for the one who's already limping, for the one who's already distracted by some weakness. Then he sets the opportunity. They're distracted by someone else. Their eyes aren't on the Lord. They're distracted by what they're going on. And, and he puts a snare right in front of them. He didn't even have to hide it all that well. Satan is a schemer. He knows exactly what he's doing. I mean, Satan may be a fool, but he's no dummy. He has 6,000 years of human knowledge to pull from. 6,000. It, it's true that no temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. We know that. But you know what else that means? That means everyone else who's been tempted like you is tempted just like you. And so his snares that he set 6,000 years ago, he doesn't have to change them all that much. He doesn't have to come up with a new snare in 2,000. The snares that worked in the garden will work on you. He's got 6,000 years of, of human knowledge to make his snares even better. Century after century of what snares have worked and where. I mean, your, your life is not new and neither are your temptations. And since your temptations are common to man, then that means the traps can be common too. The snares can be common too. So Satan has a snare honed to perfection. A snare that will work for you honed to perfection. The reason I say that is because I don't want us to be uh, hokey or, or like blasé about Satan's snare setting ability. I want, you to, I want you to be frightened by it. I want you to think, if Satan is trying to trap me, how in the world do I have a chance? I want you to think, if Satan is setting a snare for me, how in the world am I not going to walk right into it? Chris, if you're telling me Satan is going to be outside my house, he's going to see my weakness, he's going to know my weakness, and because of that, he's going to set a trap specifically oriented for my weakness, what hope do I have? And I go, exactly. That's why we pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. I don't want you to think that, that, we, that you don't need to cry out for deliverance because you could see, oh, I could see a snare from Satan a mile away. No, you couldn't. How do I know that? Because some of you have been in the snares of Satan and can't even see it. One of the things as a pastor is I'll be passing it and I'll go, you are, I can see it. I can see the snare wrapped around some part of your heart and you're like, you don't even see it yet. We know that. And it's not just you. I've seen it in my life too, right? This is what confession is. We realize, oh my goodness, what have I done? And how long have I been doing it? I want you guys to realize that you have someone, an enemy, an adversary, who is looking for opportunities in your life, looking for weaknesses amongst you, amongst your kids, amongst your church family, to get to you, to get to the bride, to destroy the children. That's what he wants. And he's setting snares, setting snares that would be the, the most effective. And so when we, we see Satan's snares mentioned in Scripture, we actually see some very specific snares. It's interesting. The Bible tells us, hey, Satan sets snares, but it also gives us examples of very specific snares that have worked and tend to work for specific certain people. It, 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 it's interesting because Satan's snares are like, are like hunting snares. There are certain snares that are more dangerous for certain people. Like a, you wouldn't set a rabbit snare to try and catch a bird. And the same thing is true as we're going to see in Scripture. We're going to see that there are snare, snares that are specifically targeted and effective for certain people in certain situations. So the Bible says, look out for Satan's snares. But then it mentions some specific snares for some specific groups. And so we're going to look at those specific snares for those specific groups and say, hey, if you're in this group, beware of the snare. 
It doesn't mean this is the only snare he's going to use, but it just means it's a common snare that he uses for people in this situation. The first snare that we're going to see is lazy gossip. Okay? And lazy gossip is a snare specifically mentioned as dangerous for women. Okay? So we see here a snare that Satan uses uh, against women is the danger of lazy gossiping. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Here we've got this, he's talking about widows and the dangers for these widows and what they need to do and how they, you know, he needs to pastor these widows and and what's going on. He says, besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not say. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. So Satan's not idle. He doesn't, and he, he's not idle, but he wants you to be. He wants you to be. And, and so God warns us here that there is a snare that Satan sets for women to be idle. To be idle, but I love the language. To be idle, but also very busy about being idle. Uh, to be idle and yet somehow busy about it. So in their desire to, you know, you got these young widows. They don't, have, they don't have anybody at home, right? Their husband has perished. And so they're, they're around the house and say they just want a, a desire to be with other people. I just need to be around other people. So they're drawn from house to house. They go from house to house instead of managing their own house. And while they're there, again, they're not laying around. They talk and they say things they should not. They say things about others. They say things about their lives. They talk about their husbands. They talk about their children. They talk about their churches, but in ways they should not be doing. This happens. Why? Because they gave the adversary an opportunity, he says. An occasion, and he worked slander among the people from them, uh, this danger, this snare of lazy gossip. Of, I don't want to work at home, or I, I don't need to work at home. What I really need to do is I need to be with these people. I need to go over here. I need to go to this house, and I'll do this, and then I'll go to that house. And while I'm there, we might talk about what I'm struggling with, right? Uh, we might talk about those sorts of things. And in the end, it's not, it's, not, it's not godly. It's just gossip. It is gossip and slandering uh, that then you say, let's just pray about it. Uh, and the Bible says, look, that is a snare that women will face. This is a snare that is so tempting for women. It's a trap that is so much a trap for women that God's like, put that in the word. Put that in the Bible for all time. Because he, what does Satan do? He sees their desires. He sees their wishes. He sees their frustrations. And he sets a trap. A snare that will answer all their problems, right? Hey, you can be around all these people and get to talk instead of being alone with no one to talk to, but a little babbling toddler that you're going to say something to him. He's going to go, and you're going to be like, exactly. That's how I feel. You nailed it, actually. Uh, You know, those, those, but these are, when we're today, these sorts of things, what feels new to us, but it's a trap. It's a snare that's been around for thousands of years. He sees the desire, he sets a trap, and that's the problem. Because what we don't need is what we think we need. That's the trap. And so he gets us to walk into it by getting us to walk out of our house. By walking out of the house, we walk into the trap. And if you're a woman, this trap is designed specifically for you, just based on this passage. Now, if you want to say it's also designed for men, I'd say fine. Uh, I'd say, okay, sure, men can fall into this trap as well. But I'll say the Bible says it's designed specifically for you. If you want to say it it goes for both of us, okay. But it's certainly one that Scripture says is a danger for women. And here's the thing. Like, this is is a temptation for women. Like, our world, our world, our Supreme Court justices, they may not know what a woman is, but Satan does. He knows what a woman is. And he's not going to set this snare in front of a bunch of dudes and in front of a bunch of women because he wants equality, right? Satan doesn't care. Uh, Satan's going to set this snare where this snare is going to work. And he's going to set it, if you're a woman, he's going to set it in front of you because, because this snare, although it might be strong enough for a man, is made for a woman. And it's made, designed for you. And it would be foolish of us to hear about this trap and think, how dare Satan use that trap against me? How dare he think that this is a, a snare for women? Uh, it can be just as much a snare for anybody. Uh, quit that, right? Just take scripture for what it's saying, which is that this, 
We can't accuse the world of leveling the genders and then us get to temptation and say, no, no, we're all tempted the same way. You're not. Here's the Bible talking specifically about a temptation for women, and it's the danger of lazy gossip. It would be foolish for us to see that trap designed specifically for you and to ignore it, to ignore it when the Bible warns us specifically about it. But there's other snares as well. How about a snare of the danger of our finances? In Job's life, uh, listen, poverty and riches, they can both present their own specific problems. Well, here we're going to see that God sets or that Satan sets a snare for those who desire riches. And Job, again, Satan tries to set a snare by taking everything away. He, he's, 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 he's trying to play off of this snare, uh, this snare of, of riches. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So Satan sets here uh, the snare that, that tangles the feet of the, those who desire above all things to be wealthy, to be rich. A snare that he says will bring ruin and destruction. A snare that will pull down and lead to all kinds of evils. That in the end, you'll find yourself lost and pierced, wounded and far from home, he says. If if we, we can't look at this and say, oh, but my desire to be rich is different. If you're someone who wants to be rich, don't think this can't catch you. Don't think this isn't. Look, you may have a godly desire to be wealthy and to use the wealth for the glory of God. And that's great. But don't think Satan's not going to set a snare along that path. Don't think that just because right now your desire is for the Lord, his glory, and use that wealth of he who owns a a cattle on a thousand hills for his name and his kingdom. Don't think along that path as you're walking and doing what you should be doing with the blessings of God that Satan's going to say, well, he took the first step right, so I'm not going to touch any of the others. He'll let you take the first 500 steps right and then lay 501, lay that snare. And he'll set you up. He'll set you up at 400, 415, 475. He'll just, he'll just nudge you just a bit to walk into that snare. We, we can't think this, this isn't a trap for us. This is just a trap for worldly people who want to be rich. That's crazy because this 1 Timothy isn't written here to worldly people. He doesn't say, hey, watch out for worldly people wanting to be rich. He's talking to the church. He says, you godly people here. The ungodly don't need a snare to do wicked things. They already are doing wicked things. They don't need a snare to use their riches wrongly. But we do. We do. Satan will put a snare in front of us. There's a, this, this trap is rigged for you, Christian. It's set at your height. It's set at your gate with one goal, to ensnare you even as God blesses you. How about a group snare? Let's, get, let's all get together in this one. Uh, the group snare that Satan mentions for the church, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, is the snare of division. The danger of, of division in the church and uh, of a lack of forgiveness. Or look, at, look at verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For for this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you're obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his design. So someone has wronged you. They haven't just wronged you. They haven't just hurt you. They've hurt everyone. Again, this is how goes back to how Satan's arrows are fire tipped. It's meant to be something to you, a sin against you, but it spreads. That person after and, and note after being punished, which Most churches ironically refuse to do. They think they'll get back without the punishment. After being punished by the majority, that person confesses and repents. And this, this is where Satan will set a trap after a trap. He has ensnared someone in the church. And he is going to use that snare that caught that person to then set a separate snare that's going to catch everybody else. It's like uh, when you're trying to catch a coyote 
by uh, tying a, 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 a snare on the foot of a, of a bird or something like that. And he sees that. Uh, and he, you're using a snare, then you've got a snare attached to a snare. He sets a trap after a trap. Paul says, if you've forgiven them, I've forgiven them. And the people I've forgiven, I've done as a model for forgiveness. Why though? Because I know the designs of Satan. We know his traps. We know how he sets his traps. And we know why he sets his traps. When we go into someone's sin thinking, we go into their sin thinking, oh, there's the trap. And you know, they've got their foot all stuck in it. We go, oh, that's the trap. And we see that trap where their foot is caught, but Satan has planted another trap underneath their trap. He, Satan has put a grenade under our wounded. And if we're not careful, he'll take them, take them out to take us out. Because he'll use our anger at being hurt to bring division and a lack of forgiveness. He says, look, I, I, I'm forgiving and I'm setting it as an example because I know when they hurt me, they didn't just hurt me, they hurt all of you. And the temptation, because we know the schemes of Satan, is for us to be hurt, for him to catch someone, and for him to trap all of us because we see that person who hurt us and we go, I'm done with you because you've hurt me. And then the snare has been followed by another snare. This is why Paul hints uh, at this as well in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Snare after a snare. Hey, you've got a brother who's been caught in a snare. Be careful. Watch yourself because there's often a snare to follow for you. Even while you're helping or looking at your brother who's been caught in the snare. Have you ever struggled to forgive someone who is admitting they're wrong? Who's confessing their sin? You ever struggle? Someone says, I was wrong and I wronged you. And you're still struggling to forgive them? That's not an accident. That's a design that Satan will use. That's a favorite snare of his for the church. Again, Satan does not set these snares on accident. They are not happenstance. And we've just seen ourselves in multiple levels of snares, specifically designed snares that we've seen. The Bible says, look, watch out for snares. Specifically this snare, specifically this snare, specifically this snare. And it'd be foolish for us to think that, that this or that snare would never be an issue for me. It's been an issue for lots of people like you. Right? But I would never ensnare you. The truth is, if you think that, then it's probably already snared you. And Satan is, is roaming about. He's looking for someone to de- devour. He's looking for opportunities, for chances, for weak spots. He's looking for your foot to slip but a little. And if those opportunities don't come, if that weakness doesn't present itself, he will make opportunities. He'll set snares in your path. He'll set traps specifically designed for you or that have worked for people like you since the beginning. Snares filled with all of his knowledge of what has tripped people up for these last 6,000 years. That's what's laid in the weeds for you this week. That's what's lying in the weeds. If it's not a lion, it's a trap. That's the minefield that we're walking into. So what do we do? We pray. Deliver us from evil. So let's do that right now. Let's take a moment and let's ask the Lord to deliver us from evil. We want to know that part of the way he delivers us from evil is through what we've just learned in his word about these dangers. Putting up signs to say he, there is a lion about. Putting up signs that say minefield ahead. That's what these texts have just done. So what can we do? One, look at your life. If Satan prowls around looking for weaknesses, look at your life. What are the opportunities that are present in your life? What are the weak spots? What are the weak areas of your life? No, that's what Satan is looking for. Maybe he's already attacking you in spots. Well, what are they? Shore up the defenses there. Take a moment, ask the Lord, Lord, show me where I'm weak. Show me where where I've got a weakness that that if a lion were to attack at this spot, I would go down. Where the defenses are open, the gate is open. 
So look at your life and then, and then look at your feet. What snares could Satan set for you? Maybe it's not a weakness. Maybe it's just a snare that would catch you. What traps would work? If you think if Satan, if Satan did this, uh, man, he would have me because that is a temptation of mine. It, 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 is it one of those age old traps that we looked at? Maybe you don't need to look out for snares. Maybe you need to get out of one. Maybe you've already gotten one of those snares wrapped snugly around your feet and you just need to say, Lord, thank you for showing me that this is a snare. But what all of us need to do is look at our lives, look at our feet, look at the opportunities, look at the struggles. We all need to pray, deliver us from evil. And when we pray that, we know that he will and we know that he already has. Father, we come to you today. And Lord, we ask for you to deliver us from evil. Lord, we know that the evil one is roaming about, prowling around, seeking for someone to devour. And Father, we know our weaknesses. And if we know our weaknesses and we knew there was a lion about, if we knew that there was a lion outside and we know our house has a door open, we would go and we would close that door. Father, may we see the weaknesses in our lives that you by your spirit reveal to us. And we may we not cherish them. May we not protect them. May we shut the door. May we run to you, our strong tower, and have our weaknesses made strong through you, through your strength. Father, we are, we are beset by snares. We know that the one who is prowling around and knows us and knows humanity better than we know humanity and has been setting snares since the beginning, that he has snares that would probably work really well on us. So, Father, make us watchful. Make us sober-minded. Make us aware of, of where we're already tempted, Father, to go. Places we're already, that we don't even really have to have snares. It's already a temptation for us. Give us wisdom to see the snares. Give us wisdom to see the snare we're already in. And to see the snare that we can avoid. And Lord, our prayer is deliver us. Our prayer is deliver us, Father, from this evil. Deliver us from the evil one. And right now, Father, as we take the supper in a second, Father, we will be rejoicing in that you have done that. That through your son, you have put to death the one who through the fear of death was able to hold us captive. That is the devil. To set us free from that lifelong slavery. Father, so we thank you today. That not only do you do we pray deliver us from evil, we can rejoice that that's what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will always do for your people. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.